Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, one of my favorites, of course, my doctor and also the doctor on my first book, The Paleothyroid Solution, Dr. Gary Forsman, MD. He's a truly integrative functional medicine physician with expertise in many systems of healing, not just meditation and stress management, but also botanical, orthomolecular, and functional medicine systems. His scientific mind, combined with a holistic integrative perspective, makes him sought after, makes him a sought after practitioner who synthesizes optimal healing modalities for each individual, and I can test to that. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be here again. For those listening, Dr. Forsman, we've done many episodes on this podcast from breast cancer to low-dose naltrexone to coronary artery disease. You can always just Google Dr. Gary Forsman, F-O-R-E-S-M-A-N, and the Primal Blueprint podcast, and those episodes will come up. And while we'll put everything in the show notes, his website is middlepathmedicine.com. So today we're going to talk about female hormones, perimenopause, menopause, all of the changes that can happen. And we know sometimes imbalances can happen earlier than, you know, late 30s, early 40s. Um, And I'll share my own experience with Dr. Forzen helping me with that because I'm in my 40s. I guess I guess one way to start is this. Um, Tell us about what happens to women as they approach perimenopause and what that means. Well, I mean, as you know, we've talked about all the hormonal systems coming into balance. And when a woman starts to develop symptoms of perimenopause, meaning that uh, as she's heading towards that time when she's going to stop ovulating and there's the celebratory part, which is no more periods. Um, and But before then, there can be some turbulence. And so, and when we discuss the endocrine systems, and this sounds a little bit boring, we know that, you know, I talk about the endocrine systems like four, you know, four legs of a chair, even though it's more complicated than that. There's the pancreatic system, there's the adrenal system, the thyroid system, and of course for women it's the ovarian system. Of course for men that's the testicular function. Um, And really how well we do with these changes depends on how the other legs of the chair are doing. And that's why before you – and any woman who sometimes is having issues with, you know, I can't ever get my hormones balanced, she usually means her estrogen, progesterone – that usually is because the other endocrines aren't necessarily balanced first. And so the first thing to talk about as a woman heads into perimenopause is to understand, first of all, have to take care of yourself first, and that's the stress management, the exercise, the nutrition, things that you talk so 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 eloquently about. Um, the best way to deal with pancreatic endocrine function is to control blood sugar, by the way, which is, you know, we recommend paleo diets for that primarily, but how well am I doing in terms of balancing my insulin and glucagon? Because that plays a huge role in terms of how well we respond to the fluctuations in estrogen and progesterone in our body. So balancing our blood sugar primarily, and that's a primarily through diet and exercise, of course. Okay. Um, and then, yes. I want to I interject and touch on something and highlight, which uh, when you're talking about all of these legs, 
And I think, you know, based on our book, etc., we would say that you obviously check thyroid first, right? You don't want to, if someone's got a hormonal imbalance, you need to rule that out because that could be the precursor to it or part of it. So um, to make sure that you're headed, if you're going to be going down a road where you're going to optimize or even use bioidentical, to make sure you've, right, satisfied these these pillars here. Right. And as you know, we try to do you know, cast a wide net for testing because, you know, people are inherently complicated. When I say it that way, very rarely is any person I see usually easy because they would have seen their normal doctor for the easy stuff, you know, and so um, and so could they not be having problems that seem endocrine? And, you know, we use that term psychoneuroendocrine immunology, which means the stress body, the nervous body, the endocrine body, the immune body. Is there some imbalances going there? You test for markers of inflammation. You test for markers of methylation. So all these things have to be tested if 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 your hormone situation wasn't just easy. So if somebody just goes on one dose of whatever thyroid and feels wonderful, they're probably pretty easy, right? Um, and so, but kind of like you're saying, when we look at this, we say, hey, how well balanced is my doctor really measuring my overall blood sugar and insulin levels? That could be why I'm not doing well in perimenopause. And of course, we're going to get to ovarian hormones, but it's so important to hear that, you know, it's, you, you got to think bigger sometimes. And so, and of course, we have to look for adrenal insufficiency, which is its own topic stress levels and adrenal function, we have to look at thyroid just like you were saying, because that's actually a big issue for many women as they go into perimenopause. That leg of the of the chair is not doing very well. So of course, when the other chair leg starts to get a little wobbly, which is perimenopause, they don't do so well. So that's why we try to emphasize most women, if they take care of themselves and the other endocrines are taken care of, their perimenopause will go somewhat smoothly. Now, that is not always true. So as we get into the ovarian hormones, you have to understand, I see many exceptionally healthy women who are just mad because they do all the right things, but their menopause is not going well, you know? And it's not their fault because they are eating right and they are exercising and they are doing stress management. But damn it, why is, why is my menopause not going so well? And the answer is because some women's bodies need help during menopause. And that's where the rest of our talk is going to go. Yeah, and I want to highlight this too. So your broad net that you talked about casting, um, we might have touched on it before, but I'm going to talk about my personal experience th through this with you because Dr. Forsman really uh, essentially, he really saved my life by doing some testing that was really necessary, including my MTHFR. And I was not aware, in fact, when um, he told me, hey, you know, you, you're going to need to take a methyl B12 folate, I thought it was for the purposes of reducing my high homocysteine at the time. And I wasn't aware <laughs> until I checked in with you that you were like, no, 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 that's kind of something you're going to need to keep track of, like for life. And, um, and we can see the blood markers move. I had very high homocysteine, it was like 24 or something like that. And now it's low. And so again, right, you know, you can go to some doctor who's going to tackle it with like, oh, let's just put top here or do this here. But if you haven't cast that broad net with a functional medicine doctor to make sure that all of these things are um, in play first and kind of started to get regulated, then you're not going to have a lot of luck with the other things. Exactly. And that's the thing is you notice, Ellen, that's why you giving, being willing to give some of your personal story is so important for people to hear is that yes, because that's why so many people will see just the gynecologist say for the, for their hormones and gynecologists are, and I know this makes me so unpopular in the medical world, but let's do it anyways. Um, gynecologists are really surgical specialists. I think they have minimal understanding on, on how to balance hormones. They tend to be marketed just drug versions of things and, 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 
personally, I don't think they do a very good job of it. And so, so, so see a, a functional medicine doctor or a naturopathic physician with functional medicine background and try to get an overview of things because you tend to get a better approach to hormone therapy when you see those doctors. And when you need gynecological surgery, see gynecologists. And, and so, and you, you know how, and I know how you feel about endocrinologists as well in terms of the <laughs> thyroid. So you, you know how this is what people think. Well, I have, I'm complicated, so I'm going to see a specialist and specialists tend to focus in narrowly where most people you need to look more broadly, right? And so, so yes, do the, the wide set of testing. And as you know, you and I have talked about before, there are limitations to our tests. So everybody out there, because there, you know, when we get to the, the ovarian hormone testing, there are so many weaknesses in the hormone testing. And as you well know, uh, L, when we talk about thyroid, most doctors don't even do the right thyroid test. But even when you do the right thyroid test, you also know people live at different levels of T3 to reverse T3 and, and TSHs and all depends on the type of, well, this is assuming they're on some hormones, but the type of hormones we use, et cetera. So balancing the thyroid is actually much more difficult than especially the quote-unquote thyroid specialists um, tell you to do. And so how to dial that in? Because again, the better we dial in our adrenal function, the better we dial in our over-endocrine, overall blood sugar, insulin function, and of course, thyroid function, that at least knows that those legs of the chair are taken care of. So hopefully, perimenopause will go smoothly, you know? Um, and so, and it very much can, ladies out there, because too many people think, well, that's the end. I'm going to menopause. I'll never have sex again, whatever, you know, and 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 uh, hope most women are getting over most of those kinds of, uh, you know, uh, uh, theories or whatever. And so, so that you could, but also understand as we start talking about the ovarian hormones, there was a time in the past where doctors said you had to be on hormones. They used all the wrong ones, the synthetics, synthetic Provera, the pregnant mirror urine known as, as Premarin. And, and it was a very poor form of hormone therapy that that every woman was told you had to be on it just because you're in menopause. That was a very poor choice. Nowadays, a lot of women are told, oh my gosh, you can't go on hormones. Hormones are bad for you. Um, and that's completely wrong. Um, and the idea is to make sure you, the locus of control for your healing is with each individual. You have to, you know, hopefully, because when we talk about the testing, most of the testing I actually don't rely on as much as I rely on how the woman responds to the hormones. And so, but if the woman asks me for testing, you do it. Okay. And so, yeah, let's um, get into that. Cause we had a conversation yes. about this the other day and, um, well, you know what, let's, let, yeah, let, let's start there. And then I'll, I'll go back and talk about when I called you being like, Oh, I think I have perimenopausal symptoms. Um, the other day, uh, so I currently take testosterone, uh, cream. And it's like one and a half milligrams. One is the lowest dose. I think four, usually one to four milligrams for women, right? Men would be like 40 or higher. So that's a totally different story. And so I called you after being a couple months on it with great success. And I'll talk about the symptoms and everything I experienced in a minute. And I said, hey, should we, should we, <laughs> I said, hey, shouldn't we check in with where my testosterone's at? Maybe I need a little bit more, maybe a little less. I don't know. But, you know, should we check in with it? And you gave me what you said was going to be a very intellectually dissatisfying answer. <laughs> and you said, you know, Al, I know this isn't going to, but, but no, no, we don't. And you right. gave me a couple of examples of 
women who might be at the same age in the same stage of life with like end of perimenopause and menopause that may have the same, you know, uh, hormonal profile, but one's suffering and one's not, or someone has high testosterone on a blood test or a saliva test, but they still don't have a sex drive where someone with low testosterone does. So tell us about this because, you know, most people I know, they're going to go do testing and someone would say, well, that's crazy. Why wouldn't you test this? Really? So let's talk about why that's maybe not applicable. Well, again, and you know, this goes into deeper backgrounds. Many people want science to be kind of the god of the day, where they want to believe in something in science, where science has limitations like everything else in the world. And we don't want to make Western medicine into a belief system. And what we want to do is make sure that people understand, yes, like let's use the easiest example just of, of, of menopause itself. So a woman is heading somewhere towards 50. Now, the symptoms can happen in the 40s, sometimes even earlier in certain families, um, but typically the age of menopause for women is 50 in America, um, and there's turbulence in the meanwhile, irregular periods, heading, hot flushes, night sweats, the usual symptoms. So, but as a, let's, a woman heads towards 50, stops, starts to stop having periods and then stops having periods and has hot flushes, night sweats is not a medical mystery. Okay. It's called menopause. And, and so everybody says, well, shouldn't I get my hormones tested? And, you know, and the answer is every woman in menopause has lower hormone levels compared to being premenopausal, every single one. And so now the, when I see that woman and let's say she stopped having periods and she's in menopause and the official diagnosis, we used to use the terms perimenopause and postmenopause. It's all just menopause ladies. Um, and so, uh, so yes, the most doctors still use, it's a, a year without your periods before we can call it fully menopausal. Okay. And that's a pretty good time because every now and then a woman can be six months without a period and uh, a little follicle makes its way out and you can have a period. So, um, but usually after a year, you won't have any more periods. So, um, so in that setting, when I measure their hormones, I'll give you a beautiful example from a lady I saw yesterday, okay, where she had actually, in the year and a half since I had last seen her, um, she had been to a GYN. She ended up getting a hysterectomy, actually, um, for some uh, some perimenopausal bleeding. Again, I didn't even know about this until yesterday. Um, and we were testing some hormones because she had asked for it. And she comes in to see me, and they had spared her ovaries, okay, and and her blood test just yesterday was unmeasurable progesterone levels, unmeasurable estrogen levels, and actually decent testosterone levels. Okay, we were measuring this, and and this is very typical. And she had a thing called a follicle-stimulating hormone, which is a pituitary, super, super high. These are absolutely menopausal levels. But now, obviously, we can't use symptoms of periods anymore in her. She doesn't have a uterus. Um, <laughs> um, but she had exquisitely minimal symptoms of low estrogen, okay? I mean, when I say that, she had no symptoms of low estrogen, even though her levels were unmeasurable, okay? Um, and so, and even though her testosterone level, which was the, really the only measurable uh, hormone left, um, her symptoms, if you could define them, were more related to low testosterone than anything else, okay? And that was the best level she had, okay? Now, I'm giving this as an example, is that saying, the hormone levels in menopause of, uh, for women who have symptoms and don't have symptoms, for perimenopause who have symptoms and don't have symptoms, for PMS who have symptoms and don't have symptoms, there's so much overlap that no one in the world can tell you based upon a test who has the symptoms and who does not. No one. And if anybody tells you they can, they're lying to you. Sorry. Um, uh, so, so you actually have to go with a clinical assessment. And you might go, ooh, the, 
that's so intellectually dissatisfying. And yes, it is. Um, um, and you can make guesses at things. And I'm not saying never measure any hormone levels. I'm just telling you, it's it's pretty much a crapshoot. And so, so you got to look at the woman and say, well, listen, uh, independent of what my estrogen levels, I'm having miserable hot flushes, night sweats. You try natural botanical therapies and that doesn't work. You have to consider topical estrogen therapies. And we can talk about that a little bit more. Um, same thing goes with the testosterone symptoms, lower energy, um, issues with muscle mass, uh, sex drive, uh, those types of things. You have to consider testosterone therapies. But honestly, as long as the doctor stays within physiological range of bioidentical hormone therapies, the issue of dosage is more dependent on how the woman responds to it than it is based on any saliva test, urine test, blood test, or you know, tarot card reading. <laughs> well, no, and so, well, on this, and you know, this goes to the thyroid. Some people need right. a higher T3 to feel right, and some people don't. And a doctor would go, oh my gosh, this patient's T3 is at the top of the range. They're on, you know, natural desiccated. I need to uh, lower it because I think they're hyper, when in fact that's right for them. And someone could be a little bit lower and be thriving. So again, it's individual. Like you're saying, we can't get into the cell, right, and really test like how it's, quote, affecting the person. So it is about... Again, listening to symptoms. So before we get in, yeah, go on ahead. Because mm-hmm. I just saw a lady last week with thyroid, her endocrinologist. Oh my gosh, her T3 is too high um, and, and lowered her T3 and she's been miserable. And, and she saw me for the first time. And I said, listen, you know, whenever you take a horm- uh, she was taking a desiccated thyroid and you, you measure the test, right? Did you take your thyroid that morning? Yes. Well, your T3 was higher because you had just taken your thyroid and, and T3 has a shorter half-life. So um, the, the doctor should have never lowered your T3, uh, your, your desiccated thyroid based upon one isolated test immediately after taking your nature thyroid in the morning. Um, and that's why you feel miserable. And why wouldn't her endocrinologist know that? And the answer is they don't seem to understand the difference between T4 and T3 metabolism, desiccated thyroids and and she was given very poor advice and and again by the way just in one week she's feeling much better as we've readjusted her dosages and i'm talking about medicine that's so simple I, you know I, I i don't even you know like they're so ha- people are so happy but i honestly what i'm doing is almost child's play um <laughs> but really i'm you know this l um and well, so, let's hit this home never yeah. ever if you're on thyroid hormone replacement unless it's for some crazy experiment do you go you get a morning blood draw and you don't don't go in and take your thyroid hormones because, again, especially if you're on T3, maybe Synthroid only or T4 only doesn't matter as much, I think, right. according to you, right? So that doesn't matter as much. But if you're on anything containing T3, meaning desiccated or T3 only, it's it, it acts so quickly that it is going to get you this like spiked false, not what's free and unbound, right? What you just sent coursing through your bloodstream. So this happens all the time where people are lowered on their medication because they took the thyroid before they went in. It shows a higher free T3 because that's when it's peaking because they just took it two hours ago right. and it's not. And then, then they lower it and then they screw a patient just like you're talking about. And to to reassure the patient, what you can do is say, hey, you know, you did what we call a peak level of thyroid. Let's do the next test where you you take the same dosage of thyroid, but you do your blood test before your morning thyroid. And you go, oh, my God, I'm on too little thyroid. (laughs) And, you know, the answer isn't you're on too little either, by the way. Um, And so uh, so you you reassure the person. Of course, there's a peak and trough with T3. For the most part, T4, that's Synthroid people or Levothyroxine. 
has a, such a long half-life that you don't get the peak and trough effects, and that's why it actually doesn't matter when you do the blood test relative to the blood draw. But it, like as Ella's saying, anything with T3 in it, you want to do the preferable time to do your blood test is before the morning dosage of whatever the T3-containing hormone, whether that's desiccated thyroid, sustained release T3, cytomel, et cetera. Okay, so back to yes. hormones for a second. Let's just go through, before we talk about treatment and how to how to manage it, let's go through the symptoms of the lack of each of these hormones. So let's start with estrogen. What are some of the symptoms and the main complaints that people have who are suffering from low estrogen? Okay, so, and can I, if you don't mind me just, you know, I do my rants here. So yeah. just a, a short rant. First of all, estrogen is one of the greatest hormones of the entire universe, uh, ladies. The idea that the Western doctor, especially the male doctor, has convinced that estrogens cause cancer is like a horrific misunderstanding of one of the most beautiful hormones ever, okay? Um, and so your natural estrogens do not cause cancer, okay? Your natural estrogens are one of the greatest strengths of the of, of the woman species. I'm joking a little here. Um, but it really is one of your greatest strengths. So, um, and there's a variety of different estrogens in your body. There's estradiol and estriol and a variety of types. There is no one estrogen. There is one progesterone in your bloodstream. There's a myriad of estrogens in your bloodstream because because of the complexity of that hormone. What causes cancer in the world of people is, is the BPSs and BPAs, I'm sorry, the xenoestrogens of the world and the pesticides of the world and all the other things we're being exposed to displacing your natural estrogens from the receptor sites and those can cause cancer. Your estrogens are the ones protecting you. So please, everybody, estrogen is wonderful for you. And so, so when a woman goes into menopause and she goes from you know high levels of estrogens, which of course cycle and change throughout the menstrual cycle, um, but when they drop off, and like the lady yesterday was unmeasurably low, and you see that very often, their their bodies can have other circulating other estrogens that we're not measuring, and they can still feel well because they're healthy. They're, and their estrogen receptors, type alpha and type beta, are still working in the body, and we can't even measure that. So back to your question that the classic symptoms early in menopause, when a woman goes into menopause and loses some of her estrogens, are the classic ones we think of, hot flushes, night sweats, irritable, irritability, mood swings. Um, and uh, be quite clear, almost anything in the world, because my general analogy for, for women out there is that, you know, think of estrogen as the gas pedal and progesterone more like the brakes, okay? So if you can think of things turning on in your body, I have women on estrogens in my practice from everything from head to toe, and I am not kidding. Of course, the, the easiest thing is treating, you know, reducing the hot flushes and night sweats that, go, again, that don't go away with lifestyle or botanicals, okay? Um, and so, but after that, they, are, they stay on hormones. And for those women, when we're able to control those symptoms, they feel so much better with their hormones and it's exquisitely safe. Okay, because the biggest fear for women out there is, oh, my God, estrogens cause cancer. The fact that we have convinced you as the medical industry, the male misogynistic big pharma industry that your estrogens cause cancer is so sad because estrogens are a strength for you. Now, I wouldn't take it to the extreme of saying, oh, my God, every single woman in menopause should be on estrogens. No, just the women who have symptoms that are that require attention. Okay. And they don't, don't go away, but you can have joint pain, um, brain fog, you, any symptom you think of kind of slowing down and not working as well, that can be an, a low estrogen symptom. So estrogens are awesome. Okay. Let's move on to symptoms of low progesterone. 
right? Um, and so remember how I gave this analogy of estrogens. So estrogen is more like the gas pedal, progesterone more like the brakes. So um, as is in the world when a lot of doctors are using these high-dose estrogen therapies and women are kind of getting excited about them, of course, the gas pedal is the one more likely to get you into trouble <laughs> and the brakes are safe. <laughs> An accident? Okay. Yeah, you so, so, get arrested. So <laughs> and so be clear, in general, when we're prescribing hormones, if we give a woman estrogens, she has to be on progesterones because why would you get into a car that didn't have brakes, okay? And you have to balance the two. A great mistake that some women seem to still hear from their gynecologist is the only reason to be on progesterone is to take if to, prev, to prevent uterine cancer. And some old school gynecologists apparently still say this. Um, that is not true because progesterone balances estrogen in every cell of your body, okay? So, so, but however, and there's, you know, there's a whole group dedicated to the benefits of progesterone out there. The, what your doctor won't tell you about menopause group, uh, uh, the form, well, Dr. Lee is passed now, but that group, progesterone is an ultimately safe, wonderful hormone. Okay. I just want everybody to hear that. Um, does it solve every single aspect to menopause? My experience is no. Okay. Now, is it safe? Yes. I'm talking about natural progesterone, none of the synthetics, okay? Um, and so so now the l symptoms of low progesterone, actually the ones that you'd focus on are d um, difficulties in sleeping, anxiety, and things to do with heart, cardiovascular, palpitations, and muscle health. Those are primarily the areas you think of with low progesterone, that when you um, start a progesterone, it can help the woman with sleeping. It can help with anxiety. These are all very good things. It can help with muscle health and any woman who's having some cardiovascular instability symptoms, arrhythmias, and things like that. So progesterone is a wonderful hormone. And and when we get to this end of this, ladies, everybody needs to understand every woman's body responds a little differently. So I have women in my practice where estrogen is their favorite hormone. Progesterone is their favorite hormone. Testosterone is their favorite hormone. So it really is about this experiential, Do I what symptoms am I having and what do I respond to? And, and having the locus of control with you, the doctor can say, hey, these are the dosage ranges for these hormones we tend to use. And as long as you stay within these physiological ranges, it's more about how you feel than a blood test, saliva test, et cetera. Okay. So Let's talk about symptoms of low testosterone. Right. And again, and there's, and so everybody hears this, and I know I'm being a little bit repetitive, but almost any symptom that a woman can have in perimenopause can be related to almost any of the hormones. So there's classic ones we think of, but have I had a woman um, who their hot flushes, night sweats, classically a low estrogen symptom, got better with testosterone than it did with estrogen? Yes. Okay. Now, on average, that's not true. So that's why it comes down to this experiential thing. Classically, we think of low testosterone symptoms as a decrease in energy. Um, that can be both mental and physical, by the way. Um, a decrease in response to exercise, and of course, a decrease in libido, ability to have orgasm, so sexual function types of areas. It's not just sex, though. Testosterone, everybody links with just being sexual function, but energy, muscle mass, um, even just getting things done, motivation, that kind of thing. And so a typical scenario when I start women on hormones is I start with estrogen and progesterone. And, and as we talk with, about your experiences, Elle, um, and then if you have residual symptoms, um, and this is mainly for menopausal women, uh, by the way, um, and so, so then, then you look at, hmm, do I have symptoms that could respond to testosterone? And we use that too. 
be very clear among the functional medicine world, there's doctors will tell you that you absolutely have to use all three all together all the time. Once again, try to avoid platitudes. Um, <laughs> it just, it just really, you just, you know, it's not a good idea that you have to do anything. So some women, the testosterone actually does more for them than any of the other hormones. I'm talking about primarily estrogen or progesterone right now. Um, and so so testosterone can be a wonderful hormone. It's just about dosage because testosterone levels in women drop as well in menopause. You guys just have a lower level of testosterone than guys do. So it's just a different in dosage. So when guys have that quote unquote andropause, meaning lower testosterone levels, and it's a whole different condition, by the way, everybody, and it's a different thing. But obviously, the, if you were replacing hormones for a man with testosterone, it would be a higher dosage because their levels naturally are higher than women. Okay, and so, so, and and L already pointed out the usual dosage I use for topical testosterone is between one to four milligrams. There are doctors out there giving injectable and pellets and high dose testosterone to women um, that is not physiological, and I highly discourage any woman out there doing. Okay, so. Let's talk. So when you when you mentioned you always usually start with, you know, or like estrogen and progesterone, I know you were specifically talking there about complete depletion menopause, right? Right. So let's, uh, let's talk about my personal experience for a second, because I'm in perimenopause. Um, I'm in my 40s. And what I noticed was is, so the first symptoms that I had, so, you know, I cleaned up everything with Dr. Forsman, meaning, you know, I suffered for years with hypothyroidism. And in that disease state, a lot of things got out of hand. He fixed me up, <laughs> did the broad picture. We got everything, you know, and then once all those blood markers were good and everything was good, what I noticed was is that because I get regular periods on time, like, you know, normal. And I noticed that from day 14 around ovulation till the end, that last two weeks was miserable for me. I felt like I gained 10 pounds. I felt uh, I cried about everything, even nostalgia. So again, it doesn't even have to be depression. It was um, like, you know, me thinking of a lovely memory and crying out of gratitude for it, but like bawling my eyes out like uncontrollably. <laughs> um, and I remember being like, oh, I really wish I had stopped crying about this dumb shit. So um I, I, I called you and we talked and I said, you know, listen, is, is this something where progesterone might be a thing? And I, again, I asked you to test it and you said, you know what, look, at your age with what you're going through, what you're telling me, you can try a little bit of progesterone cream, which honestly is like over the counter most places in the US. So I did. Now at first, it seemed to help with the emotional stuff for sure a little bit. And I felt some PMS symptoms go away, like horrible, you know, bloating in boobs, sore boobs. But then after about six months or a year or so, I, and I, I would lower it, you know, I started off low, and then I went up, and then I went down, I did some biohacking there. And you know, you just you told me you said, Hey, feel it out. And then I was getting to a low amount. And then what happened was, is I hit a point where I thought perhaps I might need testosterone instead of progesterone, I just had a, a, a thought about it. And the reason was is zero, like, high libido, zero sexual issues, zero sleep issues, but it was a mental focus and a lack of lean muscle mass, non-responsive to exercise. Like I could not get lean. I wasn't burning fat and it wasn't my thyroid, right? It wasn't, you know, so then I called you and I said, hey, what do we do? And again, you were like, you know, going to have to hack it. <laughs> so, um, so we tried one milligram of testosterone and within three days, of doing one milligram, like rubbing it on my thighs, cream, compounded pharmacy, right? We'll talk about all the applications later. I 
called you and I was like, oh my God, because the initial thing that I noticed was an increase immediately in mental energy and also in my endurance at the gym with weightlifting. Um, that came actually a week later, but in three days I noticed the emotional meaning, even though I'm an emotional woman and I can all cry at a sweet Hallmark movie, it would be one of those things where the thought would come up and I'd have a little, you know, a normal response of like a teary eyed moment of seeing a sweet, uh, you know, someone saving a dog. Okay. And, but I wouldn't ball my eyes out afterwards. Like I couldn't continue that to go down this road. Whereas before I felt like I had Kleenex in my car all the time. I was emotional <laughs> about everything. I was wiping my, I was crying. And so that was an immediate thing. Now it's been a couple of months. And so in the first month you'd said, Hey, continue with the progesterone and the testosterone and then see what happens. And then maybe in the next cycle, remove the progesterone. If you feel like that's not it. After the first month of being on both, I did decide to drop the progesterone in the second month because I felt like actually it was maybe making me a little bloated there in the second half when I would do it day 14 to 28. So I tried it without it. And you said, hey, go through a couple cycles. You can always add it back in. And again, this is the biohacking and the working with your doctor to see what's right for you, right? And how do you feel? And I can tell you right now, that, yeah, I would say I'm one of those women that's like, testosterone is my favorite, <laughs> my favorite thing in the world. And um, again, it didn't change anything sexual for me. Like I still have a high libido, but it did change, um, even though I had no vaginal dryness per se, it definitely increased the moisture and the overall general wetness, just like walking around during the day, just definitely felt like more of my 32 year old self or something in that, in that department. And um and I also really feel the difference in fat burning. I do. And it's, that's, I think was the most frustrating thing too with women as well. You can do keto, you get your thyroid straight, but then you get to a certain age. And if you have an imbalance here, there might be something really prohibiting you from making, you know, progress in that department. And so whether I will introduce progesterone again later, I don't know. But for now, testosterone only for me seems to be great. And the last period I had and the PMS leading up to it was so minimal. I had only one day before my period where I was just like a little cranky, you know, and that's it versus maybe a week or so, even on the progesterone where I felt em emotional and kind of cranky or I call them dropping pencil days. You know, you drop a pencil and then you want to kick the whole damn can across the room and want to murder the pencils. Um, so, so that's what we were doing with me. And I can say that I feel amazing. Um, and so again, this was the conversation we had about, hey, like, should I test this? And almost every woman I've spoken to who's gone on bioidentical hormone replacement in full menopause has told me that it took a minute to get to the right levels for them. They had to kind of hack and go back and forth with their doctor and adjust to just kind of see like, what's right for me? And isn't that just the name of the game? Yes. And so that's the essence of biochemical individuality, folks. What seems to be missing, even within the science realm, is um, that they think everybody thinks that I'll just get a blood test or a saliva test or a urine test, either one, and it'll tell me what I need to be on. And honestly, there are doctors out there that make women come back every three months, do a saliva test, and change your prescription like it's some sort of like mythical thing. Um, and it, that's a good sales pitch, but it's actually – 
takes you further and further away from making your own decisions because the doctor is taking the locus of control for healing away from you, giving it to your saliva um, and a lab interpretation and telling you what to do like you don't matter. And that's not the, the, the model that you want to use. And so, so what you know, and, and the important things of what you that, that that L brought out to you guys is the individual. You know, the progesterone thing was working for a while. Now, let's say you're seeing a doctor who's a progesterone believer. Oh my gosh, no! Every woman must be on progesterone. They would say, no, never go off progesterone. Um, I, I've had practitioners in my own practice who felt that way, by the way, um, and that's taking the locus of control away from you. It did L go off progesterone because it was dangerous? Hell no! She went off it because she's like, I don't know if this is really working for me the way. I thought it was. And when she went off of it, she felt better than when she's on it now. Why would she stay on it? And this is to be very clear. Let's say as she heads into menopause and her progesterone levels are low on any form of testing, it doesn't prove she has to be on progesterone. Okay. Um, and so and then back to the biohacking part of it. Um, the 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 part of that she's noticing is that there's response to exercise and some other things. So that's the other thing out there, ladies. The idea that the only symptom that respond that testosterone's for is for sex is just not true. Now, if you're having some low libido and some things, of course, I'm not saying not to try it for that. Okay, but but remember the 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 why the biohacking part. Use testosterone, topical testosterone, um, uh, compounding pharmacy. You circulate between the upper inner arms, upper inner thighs. You rotate your sites so that you don't use the same site all the time. So you get consistent absorption into your body. If you stay within the dosage range of one to four milligrams a day, you're never going to go past what's considered physiological. So we don't actually have to test you as long as you stick in that. Now, for the women who start to get higher and higher levels, I sometimes they say, no, Gary, I feel better when I do more and more. You have to be a little bit careful because testosterone actually for some women can give it, get a little bit addicting. It's like, woo, I, I really like this. Uh -oh. <laughs> I really like this libido. Uh, how about a little bit more? And before you know it, they're and this goes back to the side effects. In sex addicts you know, anonymus it's meetings. Stuff, <laughs> it's, it's acne and hair growth and all these other things. And you gotta, you know, let's let's ramp that down a little bit, you know. And so so you have to, you know, list there's a lot of parts about learning to trust your patient. Sorry, this comes from a doctor perspective. Um, but as most doctors doctors, the reason they don't like to do this is because there are people who misuse medicines, you know, and so um, the last patient of the day yesterday was completely misusing their medicines, okay, and so, and the, the thought of giving the locus of control to him, it wasn't hormones, for his medicines a little bit dicey on my side. Um, and so, uh, so you have to be careful about these kinds of decisions, and so, well, yeah, and I think the conservative approach, and I want to bring up an example, which will highlight what you've been saying, which is, I have another friend my age who her only symptoms really were she had lack of sleep, lean muscle mass, they put her on one milligram of testosterone topical, you know what, and she goes to a doctor that I rip on in my book, who was a former doctor that told, you know, put her hands up in the air and said, sorry, this is too complicated when I had a reverse D3 problem. So I'm not surprised that this doctor is, you know, doing the concierge thing, making people come back every three months. So my friend goes back and she goes, well, let's check your testosterone levels. They took a blood test, which you said when you do topical, if you're going to do anything, do saliva. So saliva. we'll talk about that in a minute. But she, uh, so let's say on a scale of zero to 60 for testosterone for women, my friend had been at zero, uh, was up to 40 with her one milligram. But her question to the doctor was like, hey, well, you know, I feel great, but like 
could I feel a little better? Like, would one and a half help me? You know, and the doctor said, no, 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 your levels are fine. Stay where you're at. And I know that your answer would be, try to go up to a, a one and a half and see what it does for you, right? So again, we've Bingo. got some doctor out there who's mm-hmm. potentially limiting the overall success with this patient because they're just adamant about some blood marker. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, and that's what I mean by, you know, we talked about intellectually dissatisfying. It's easy if we could just say every woman needs to test, replace, let's just use testosterone for ease. You know, this blood level of testosterone is quote unquote right for every single woman out there and her testosterone receptors don't matter. And, and, and obviously none of it would make sense. And that's the thing is we know also with thyroid, right? That we can't measure certain things. You talk about the keys and the locks, right? We're when we measure the hormones in the, the bloodstream, we're measuring the keys. We just don't know how functional the locks or the receptors, is, is the analogy here, are. Since we can't measure that, the only way we can measure it is physiologically. So, you know, when I tell a woman to go on estrogens, here's a biological range of these biased. Biased is um, a physiological combination of 80% E3 and 20% E2. And listen to your nipples. It's, it's a, the way I descri- describe it. Your nipples are the greatest biomarker of how sensitive you are to the estrogens and your dosages than any blood test that can be. If you go up and the nipples get too sensitive, you need to back down a little bit. Um, and so, and then, then of course you dose it up based upon, are my symptoms getting better? So if the woman is showing up for hot flushes or night sweats or mood swings, of course she increases the doses until those things go away. And of course she limits it based upon, this is biohacking, on how her nipples tell her to do. Cause it's really the most sensitive marker of estrogen sensitivity in the body. Okay. And so, so we learn to listen to our body more so than a blood test. And isn't that beautiful? Because our body is willing to tell us what to do, right? You know, and so it's like anything else. So, you know, Gary, how much blueberry should I eat? Well, there's not a test for that. Well, you're going to have to come (laughs) up with your blueberry dosage, you know, and there is going to be too much at some point. So, you know, you have to do this for almost everything else. Why would it be that much different for these hormones? Why would we mythologize the hormones into something that you have to have a test for? And that's, like I said, that, you know, you stay within a normal range and you know that the person hopefully can self-regulate and it does take some trust, like I said. And so the, you you have to have trust in your physician. The physician has to actually trust in you as well. Um, and so um, the uh, – and that's – I think the key is that there's um, – and by the way, doctors have done a lot to try to take the locus of control in healthcare away from the woman or from any patient, by the way. Um, and so, uh, so the model of having you tell me, hey – because and everybody, I think you heard this is L was the one who said, you know, I, I want to really try testosterone. I, you know, I thought we had talked about that a while back, and it's like, yeah, I think I kind of forgot about that. And this is back to my bad doctoring moment. But you know, and then she goes, you know, couldn't I try that? And it was like, yeah, well, of course you could. And um, and so uh, and so we we tried the testosterone. So the entire and I just. My job was to say, hey, this is the dose range. This is how you do it. Um, but the initiation of the prescription was really – well, L initiated the prescription with me is what I'm trying to say here. Um, and so – and for many women, that's the key is you say, hey, you know, I was wondering if I needed some testosterone. And so – 
be fair, be very careful. And, you know, Ellen and I have talked about this one before and you, and you know, doctors, some doctors have fragile egos. So if you go in there demanding a blood test or demanding a hormone, it doesn't work very well. This is just, you know, (laughs) communication 101, you know? And so, so I was wondering about this and you should have a relationship where like with Ellen and I, where she said, yeah, oh, hell, that sounds like a pretty good idea. And we put her on testosterone. The way the system works nowadays, she can't prescribe it to herself. Okay. Um, and by the way, back to misogyny in medicine, there are testosterone prescriptions out there for men that are that are you can buy at your standard pharmacies. There's not a single one for women. Okay, um, now once again, this is an ongoing, well understood problem of low testosterone in uh, perimenopause and in menopause. And why isn't there a commercially available prescription? And and the, I have actually no good answer because I actually think somebody could make money on it, you know, yeah. and so. Yeah, because I um, noticed, I said, why can't I just go to the regular drugstore? And you said, right. well, <laughs> classic, mis- by the way, and I just want to throw out to people that understand, testosterone, compounded testosterone cream is very cheap compared to even my thyroid medication per month. Oh. So it's not an expensive endeavor some of this stuff either. But it is interesting that I have to go to a compounding pharmacy to get it versus the CVS where they have it for the guys behind the counter. Yeah, exactly. So how how can we have it for the guys? And, you know, and we know about women's rights in today's world, especially, but I mean, you know, that's, but this is another one of those things like, why is this not available? And, you know, why is Viagra covered and not my birth control? And you could go on and on about the issues, but this is one of those bizarre things in the world. So it's, it it's a reasonable prescription. Now, like we, to, to step back, does every woman have to be on testosterone? No. Um, and, you know, and so if she's like, for instance, she's in menopause and her libido is great and her response exercise is great, her energy is great, and there's no brain fog. And, and whether she's on any of the other hormones, there's no you know reason to say, gosh, you have to be on testosterone just because I know your levels are lower than they were premenopausally. OK. And so so it's more about like understanding these hormones, like because we're individuals can be dosed individually, including not at all. By the way, for all the botanical people listening in the audience, um, this kind of gets into the middle path medicine thing, which is, you know, if you're trying to get really kind of wow results, I tend to start with the hormones. You might say, Gary, what about ashwagandha? What about maca? What about other things that might have some mild effects on testosterone? I've used a variety of different herbal combinations from a variety of different places. They have some minimal effects. I have zero issue with a woman saying, I want to raise my testosterone by trying certain herbal things. Um, They just aren't as effective as seeing – because sometimes these symptoms, even with L, we didn't know – don't know for sure if it's testosterone and and she goes on a minimal dose of testosterone and she's on something that's fairly inexpensive probably less expensive than any herbs that i would have put her on more consistently effective um i I don't know why i wouldn't use that first because it's safe and it's effective so in some instances i found that using the the, direct hormone works gary what about i'm going to suppress my production of testosterone world. Elle's going to be heading towards menopause at some point. Sorry, Elle, it's just true. I know, um, it sucks. <laughs> and, and, and so, so you're going to have a decrease in testosterone production coming up anytime now. So again, I'm not Hey, really give me a couple years. That. Give me some more years. I got time. <laughs> Sorry, but I'm not worried about suppressing whatever testosterone production because it's going to happen anyways. And so, um, right. so, uh, um, so, and then for the, for however long L is going to have the locus of control, I have to prescribe it obviously, but, um, but in terms of how much testosterone she uses for how long. Okay. And so, 
And then, let me and, let me and, ask you one question about okay. So, I, you gave me an example when we did have a conversation too the other way. So I just gave the example of someone who went in, they took the test, it was like at forty or whatever, and they're like, "You're fine." You had a patient you told me about who was sort of at the top of the range, but still wasn't responding, which is a which highlights the receptor sensitivity or the the right. lock. And I forget that story, the details, but I remember you saying you had to go up. And so a lot of people, doctors, if they were testing, would be concerned because she might have already been at the top or something. Can you talk about that particular patient and that experience with testosterone? Because she, I think it was a sexual thing. She wasn't responding, right? Right. Well, you know, we can give a couple of examples. My uh, One of the ones I gave to you was a lady who came to me with testosterone and she wanted it for a sex drive and for, you know, because all kinds of things that were going on, but primarily for sex. And so she comes into me, you know, this is about a couple of months later and she's just like angry. This isn't working. I can't believe it is working. And you can see hair growth and acne on her because she must have been dosing it up and it was clearly working, but it wasn't giving her the benefit she wanted, which was sex drive. Okay. So I didn't even check a level on her. It's like, you need to stop this. Okay. Because it is working. I can clearly see testosterone is getting into your body. You're just not getting the effect you want. So once again, she the, the biohacking part of it, if all you you get with your testosterone is acne and hair growth, and I'm talking about hair growth in places you don't necessarily want it, um, that's all you get, then no, it's not just not the right therapy for you. And, and clearly, she had gone past the recommendations. Um, and so the other side of things is women are on these the, the dosages, and somebody's measuring a test, and, and it could be a blood test. Blood tests, when you do topical hormones, tend to underestimate the level of the hormone. Saliva tests tend to overestimate the level of the hormones. That's why it makes it very difficult to, to, to use them. Um, but the doctor will do the test. They'll tell them, nope, your, your testosterone's fine, that you, you shouldn't go any higher. And uh, like we're all mentioning, each woman is different. Clearly, she was having no effects of any kind, no side effects, effects. So you go up on the dosage, staying within a physiological range because she was barely into, I think when I first started seeing her, she hadn't even gone past one milligram a day. And so, and we boosted up. I think she's currently on somewhere between three to four and she's getting all the benefits. And no, she did. Well, when I say this, she is a lady who naturally had um, some hair growth in places she didn't want it. She'd been waxing and some other things in her life. Now with her current prescription and menopause, she's getting the effects sexually and otherwise that she wants. And yes, yeah, she goes, you know, I don't mind. I'm going back to, 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 to doing some waxing again, and it doesn't bother me at all. So the side effect is something that is part of her need. Um, many people naturally have more hair. They're, I'm a hairy guy. So there's some, some hairy women out there. And when they get back on their testosterone, they tend to get more hair growth. But often, they are the ones who feel the best and they go, I just have to go back to doing my usual hair care that I used to do, you know, 10 years ago. So, um, and so you can't use the levels, you know, I do sometimes when people come in and they're on these horrible levels, you know, I, I, uh, I'll measure a test and I will show them that they have a through the roof thing. Okay. Let me give you an example. I saw a lady recently within the last few weeks. The first time I saw her, she insisted on having these saliva tests done before she saw me. And her progesterone level was absolutely like through Pluto, okay? And she was on 150 milligrams of oral progesterone a night. And she was worried that she was getting some bloating and some other things. And I said, you know, that's possible. But you got to be careful. We should decrease your progesterone a little bit, at least based on your tests. So we go from 150 to 125. Honestly, that's not a big change in the progesterone world. And and she said, I couldn't sleep for three nights. I, I felt horrible and all these other things. We put her back on the 150 or progesterone and she feels like a million bucks. 
in terms of, of, of the, at least the sleeping and anxiety things that we, we came back. Now, I'm not saying she has to be on 150 progesterone, but we, the, the saliva test we used indicated a shift in therapy that completely was wrong for her. <laughs> and so, um, so again, it you, goes back to the patient. It goes back to the experience and the symptoms and, and you know, learning with to so trust yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, being intuitive. Everybody, the system of medicine, Western medicine, the system of healing is, again, it's not really a system of healing. It's a system of disease uh, disease control. But anyways, um, it's really about taking the locus of control away from people, making you guys believe that that's the way it's supposed to be, and you're supposed to ask your doctor for everything. It's a great business model. It's a horrible healing model. So the idea is to get people to learn to trust themselves. Now, I understand some people, you know, they just don't trust their own intuitions and things, and they need more guidance. There's nothing wrong with that. But the idea is that your doctor is supposed to be giving you some general parameters of health, right? You know, and so like we do with our paleo diets, you know, how carnivore you are, how vegetarian you are should be left up to you. Humans are omnivores, but you don't say you have to eat this much meat, you know. You just say meat's not wrong. However, let's let you determine how much you want to eat, you know, and that's a personal decision. Whoa, once again, you're the one who decides, okay? And so based upon how you feel, and of course, we do some blood tests and go, well, you, you know, the amount of fruit you're eating, you, you're now diabetic. I think we need to back down. So we help you a little bit, but you know, um, but the same thing goes with these hormones is that your doctor should give you a physiological range, use bioidentical hormones, and you should, based upon your symptom responses, should be the one guiding your own therapy, you know, um, and get the locus of control back to, to the, to the individual, to the patient, if you will, to the person. Um, it's a much better model of healing, um, than anything else. And then how long you're on these things, sorry for my long-winded rants here, L. um, but how long you're on it, it should be determined by you. I have women who have been on hormone therapies for 40 and 50 years now. Seriously. Wow. Okay. okay. That's, um, that, uh, that, that's, an, that's one I haven't heard. That's amazing. And, so and safely. So, yeah. And sa- no, safely. Yes. I mean, cause even when they were 80, they were trying to decrease their hormones and they didn't feel well, you know, and then here's the deal folks, everybody, Oh my God, you're on the hormones. They're going to kill you. Uh, you know, and I, my joke is usually, I think 30 years in they if they were going to kill you, they would have gotten you by now. Um, <laughs> and, and most of them look about 10, 20 years younger than, 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 yeah, yeah, than I, anybody who's complaining about it. Okay. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Then eventually everybody who's who complained about it is dead now and they're still running around, you know, doing sports, you know, so. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, they lovely. OK, so I want to ask you about that. So one of the things that I really noticed after the testosterone particularly is a definite difference in the anti-aging in my skin. So, for example, like you age, all right, we're going to eventually get a little saggy here and there. Um, I noticed that my breasts were not as deflaty and like they were, you know, and I've never breastfed. So I know that happens right. with women. But so my boobs were are perkier. <laughs> um, also, I noticed that like so underneath the chin, you know, in that arena where sometimes you get a little slacky, crepey as you get older, that seemed to have tightened up and kind of gone away. Like it did do a little bit of a backwards anti-aging number on me. And I know that there are anti-aging effects of this, just like you mentioned. And so what are some of the things you've heard from patients? I mean, you just heard me, but what are some of the things you've heard with patients on on that level? Because I mean, I, in general, I do look 10 years younger than I am, but, um, and I'd like to continue to to look as youthful and feel as youthful as I can, right? I mean, I don't, perimenopause and going into menopause doesn't have to be a, you know, a, a death sense here. So right. let's talk about the anti-aging benefits of these things. Right. So, and to give the overview for people who are, you know, is to remember, it's that L has a 
great diet and a great exercise pattern and all these other things. And this is why, when, especially when we talk about supplements to the diet, I promise I'm going to come back to the question, is supplements are meant to augment a perfect diet. Okay, They're not supposed to be replacing eating good foods. So when we take supplements, it's to improve upon a great diet, not to substitute for a bad diet. Same thing goes when we look at the hormone therapy. The, the problem then whenever when some women are just trying to not, you know, slack by and just say, well, gosh, if I just go on hormones, I don't need to do anything else, okay? Trust me, in the medical world, this happens a lot. The, doc, the doctor puts them on a statin drug for their cholesterol. Oh, I can eat whatever I want now. Really bad idea. Um, <laughs> sorry. So same concept. The idea is you go through these things, and the woman is taking care of herself and handling. So for instance, testosterone's an anabolic steroid hormone. It's a growth thing. Most of the things that you do to balance the growth, um, growth to repair mechanisms, the your diet and your exercise help augment the repair mechanism side of things, whereas the the testosterone is working on the growth mechanisms of things. So as we age, those things both decline. So if you're increasing anabolic effects, that's uh, testosterone growth effects, you have to be make sure you work on repair effects. The repair parts of things are diet and lifestyle, by the way, and some supplements and you know so some other things. So so the key in this is that that when you take good care of yourself and you find the missing piece to your puzzle, which can be a hormone, it's like this amazing thing for you. Um, and again, the, the audience out there, well, gosh, why does she need it? And the answer is in her body with age, the decrease in testosterone didn't work well for her. And what would have happened before testosterone? She would have felt worse and worse and worse. Okay. Um, and so thank God so, for and, living in this day and age. Seriously. Exactly. So that's what I'm trying to tell everybody is that, you know, but shouldn't her exercise and shouldn't your diet have worked? She exercises right. She diets right. And guess what? It didn't do the same thing. So testosterone is working so well for her because she's not relying on it as the only thing. I hope you're hearing this, Al, because mm -hmm. the person out there who doesn't take care of themselves are not going to get the same response, okay? Um, and so so, so this is finding a missing piece of the puzzle that's, that you're doing. You're not making it the answer, okay? Yeah. And so and so, so you've, uh, you remember you we, everybody, we talked about correcting homocysteines and inflammations. All those other things are part of the reason why she found a tool that was so effective, you know, with at this point, no side effects, right? As far as I've heard no, from you. No acne. Um, I'm not challenging people to arm wrestle matches yet or anything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so you're finding a good intervention. And so, and, and be very clear, she can do it for the rest of her life if she chooses to. Okay. Now she doesn't have to as 10 years from now, she goes, I don't know, maybe I don't need this testosterone anymore. And she'll go off of it and, and she'll find out if she does or not. Will it be anti-aging? And this is really important in the genesis of your question, which is it will be anti-aging for her if she can, if she finds she does better with it as compared to without it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and by the way, in terms of 10 years from now, if, if the current world system and if this country becomes an oligarchy under the current uh, things, they will take care – they will – the big pharma will get rid of all compounding pharmacies and you won't have access to your testosterone. Okay. Um, and so, because that's well, the I will crawl over broken right. glass to and, another country. Right. For and then, <laughs> unfortunately, that means going to another country. And so, um, because that's where we are in the world, we're trying to take the, everybody's rights away from them, including the choices of pharmacies and things like that. That's why everybody needs to go out there and take care of things so we still have a democracy. Um, and so, so you can have a choice 
to get people wonder why I say these things because you will not have a choice to get these things in, in the near future. My, um, uh, I won't have the choice to do IV therapies in my practice because they will take away all the IV nutritionals as well because they're not part of big pharma. By the way, it's a very simple right. take away your competition. It's a very simple business model, and the 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 big pharma wants to get compounding pharmacies out of here, okay, um, because they're competition, and so. So on that order, make sure you understand that you can be on these things for life. And I am not – in the anti-aging thing, the idea is to listen to your own body. The, it's anti-aging medicine for the women who need it. Be clear. There's a group of doctors, and, and, and I'm, you know, I'm part of the A4M, the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. Many within that group will tell you every woman should be on it because it's anti-aging medicine for all of them. I think that's falling down our, our – um, uh, into the same trap as before is saying every woman should be on something or every woman shouldn't be on something. The platitudes aren't going to be correct. It's individualized medicine. Okay. Um, yeah. I also want to just throw out one more thing I thought of that was a symptom that went away pretty quickly after taking testosterone that I had not thought it might be applicable for. I still don't know per se, but I started to have, I don't wear contacts. Um, I started, I had very horrible dry eyes for the past few years until I started taking testosterone. Now, sometimes I still use eye drops, like, oh, I get makeup in my eye, I wash my face, or, you know, I might eye drop after that, or if I'm swimming and I get chlorine in my eye or something. But it's unbelievable the difference. I felt like I had to use eye drops all the effing time. And I, and then, you know, I'd see a commercial for dry eyes. I'd be like, oh man, damn, I hope that's not me. Like, I don't need to be, you know what I mean? But then that went away. Uh, and it was noticeable right away because again, my, I wasn't, I, something I've used too much over the past couple of years is something I don't have to use really anymore. And um, I don't know if that's attributed to the moisture in the body or whatever, but again, it's just something that, again, another benefit that I didn't see. I just right. didn't, didn't know if that was going to go up. away. And so everybody needs to hear this. In general, the moisturization things that, that Dell brings up, vaginal lubrication, eye lubrication, tends to be more of a, a benefit you tend to see with estrogens more so than testosterone. And that goes back to this individual response to our hormones. So the fact that she's noting things is wonderful, but just like she's say, telling you right now, um, would I have predicted that, that eye moisturization got better with testosterone? Wouldn't have called it at all, Okay. That's, but that's also why we like – when we use these forms of medicine, uh, folks, it's really fun because patients tend to get side benefits, not side effects, you know, and so – and that they sometimes get unexpected good things that they didn't even think about, you know. And like I was telling you when I – testosterone's a great example of that because so many people come to me use it for the sex thing. But, you know, many of them are staying on it because, hey, I have more energy at night. I'm reading more books. Uh, you know, I mean like, you know – these things might sound trivial to you, but I mean, they really makes a difference in their life more so than it did their sex, you know? Um, and so, uh, the, uh, so that's a side benefit thing. And I yeah, want my give- level of mental focus. Absolutely. That you're touching on there. I feel right. the same way. I have more mental energy and mental focus to read where again, some people might be like, I guess I need to up my thyroid. And I was just looking right. at time of life and everything. And I was going, I don't think it's that. And it clearly isn't. And it was you know, something I- else. I see so many people, and they and often from from our book together, um, and they think they have a thyroid problem, but it really is more of a testosterone problem because, as you know, these symptoms can overlap so much, right? Um, and so you say, well, let's look at all these types of things, and their issue is more the diet or the inflammation or these other things. And so now, when we started earlier and talked about, you know, am I balanced? 
balance my pancreatic endocrine function. That's mainly through diet and sometimes through supplements and other types of things. Balancing my adrenal function. That's stress management and its own discussion, folks, past what we can do today. Um, of course, thyroid has been, we've had our own, at least one podcast over this. Um, and so, and of course, this ovarian function thing is such an important thing because I do see t- way too many, many women out there. And please, this is my, my plea to you all. Estrogens are good for you. Estrogens are powerful. You replace with the right forms of estrogen in perimenopause and menopause. It can be awesome. And the same thing for testosterone, like we've been focusing on, and the same thing for progesterone, by the way. And so Elle's experience with progesterone was somewhat good and then maybe not so good. So she's not on it anymore, but she's not. she didn't stop it because it was bad for her per se. It was right. just not the right hormone for her. Okay. How did she know? She tried it. <laughs> right. Sorry. There you go. That was it. Yeah, exactly. I just, just she hacked tried a it physiological to dosage and had some benefits. And then see, this stuff is not difficult. Okay. I think we're trying to make um, hormone replacement therapy too difficult. Um, and, and we're, and, and in many ways we're taking the locus of control away from you guys. And so, um, and yes, you should have a relationship with your, with your doctor where you ask for something and that's a test or a, a medicine. And as long as it's with than reason. And honestly, in my practice, I'd say maybe 95 to 99% of the times when somebody asks me for a test, it's really reasonable. Okay. Um, and so the, um, can I just give uh, briefly an example? Yeah, no, I saw let's a, go over a little I, bit. I saw it's a patient a yesterday. Now this goes into testing. This guy is 57 years old and his mom has this disease called Huntington's chorea, which is a very severe disease and it's autosomal dominant. So he is 57 years old and not a doctor yet has ordered the genetic screen to see if he has this gene. Okay. Now he's been living in almost morbid fear for like 20 years. And I, and so this is a new patient visit by the way. And, and I said, well, why haven't you gotten tested? And none of the doctors would do it. And it's like, why? And nobody had an explanation. And so, so I ordered the test. I mean, it's really easy. And they they were been asking for decades, apparently. Now, I don't know why this battle is going on so much between doctors and their patients, other than that it's in some ways, it's become almost an adversarial relationship. I know you can speak on this, Elle. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and so, so back to the hormones, because hormones have so much almost anger behind them because we misused them in the past. Um, the misuse in the past, by the way, was the Premarins and Preveras. I am not recommending those. Don't leave this podcast and say, hey, Gary likes Premarin and Prevera. I do not. Um, sorry. Bioidentical hormones is what we're talking about. Using the right hormones in the right woman. And so, and letting her body tell whether it's, how well it's working. And so within physiological ranges and all the things. So yes, your doctor should say, hey, we should, we should think about those things based upon your symptoms and try different prescriptions. It's just not difficult things to do. And you also have to learn to trust yourself too and not worry that you're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, and so, because your body will tell you if you're doing it wrong. Your nipples will tell you if you're getting too much um, uh, estrogen, you're, you know, if you too much progesterone, it might be the bloaty thing. It might be the oversleeping thing. So there's so many things that can, you can learn to trust yourself. And yes, you might take a while to figure it out, but you know. But worth the journey, for sure worth it. So worth a journey because this hormone, this leg of the, of the chair is so misdiagnosed on average, mistreated on average. Um, and because 
And again, mainly because we, we've taken the idea that you guys can help treat yourself. We give you the prescriptions and we give you some parameters and then you play with them. And it's supposed to be play. Medicine is actually supposed to be fun, Elle, you know? Yeah, and I thought so, it was called the practice of medicine. <laughs> it's the practice of medicine. And, uh, you know, a, your good doctor is supposed to kind of sit on the sideline, tell a few jokes while you heal yourself. I mean, that's really always been the model, at least the one I've used. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely yours. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so really, but learning to trust yourself is such an important thing, especially for these hormones. Okay, um, and that should be the one of the key messages that your that your audience gets is to learn to trust themselves. Find a doctor who's willing to work with them as well, too, because unfortunately, we have to prescribe these things to you because the right forms of estrogens, the right forms of testosterones, you can't actually get over the counter. You have to get a prescription. You can get topical progesterone, as you know, but you can't get. Some women do better with the oral progesterone. Um, and that's a prescription. So the right. way the system is set up is you actually go have to go through the doctor for most of these things. And that tends to be the barrier to care for people. Let me, um, in closing, you know, so what sometimes people are like, well, well, first of all, I, I, I've, you see patients from all over the world, people have flown in from everywhere to come see you. Uh, and if people are interested in seeing you, uh, everyone, you can go to middlepathmedicine.com. You can also go to the website, look at Gary's resume in the about section and see his training. And you can kind of try to see, all right, maybe I'll look for a doctor like that near me. Now, people who are listening who want to find now, and again, all functional integrative physicians are not the same. They're not all A4M physicians are not the same. No, there's, uh, unfortunately, no. We, we can't clone you. But what are <clears throat> some what are some guidance for like where do we look do we look for an anti-aging functional doctor like what's the kind of google searches we need to look at if someone's out there wanting to try to find someone locally to them who can't come and see you or fly right. out to see you right um again and and you know because i had so many people ask me do you know any doctor and i usually stop them right there and the answer is no because i i'm not a well-networked doctor i don't i don't have webs of interconnectedness it's just not one of my 40s um and so what i tell people to do is since i do like the the doctors who who like me have gone through the the training is to go to the a4m.com i think it is but it, yeah it's a4m.com that's a the digit four um m.com that's the anti the american academy of anti-aging medicine <clears throat> There's a on the top bar, there's a said find a physician. You go to the find a physician thing, you punch in your zip code, and then you can see if doctors who've been certified in functional anti-aging and regenerative medicine. So if you went to my not you know to my zip code, 93420, the first doctor that pops up is me, and it'll say, because this is important, that I've been through the 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 board exams and the other things that I've at least done some training that that means I'm not just interested in A4M because some people who are who just pay money to A4M to be part of the the group that that will show up too I don't know what that actually means but if you've actually been certified in, certified in functional anti-aging and regenerative medicine it's called FARM F A A R M then if they certified then you've got somebody who's really interested and has done some further training to really hone this kind of knowledge and that's the kind of doctor you would be looking for, hopefully. And by the way, it could be a doctor, a naturopathic physician, even a chiropractic physician who's been more interested in these things. Because often in terms of the integrative medicine world, it's not only MDs who really get interested in this. It's other forms of healthcare practitioners. That was so wonderful. And um, we will put everything, obviously, to connect with Gary in the show notes, but Middle Path Medicine. And also I want to mention on 
uh, Middle Path Medicine, the handle on Instagram. Uh, Gary has put up so generously so many IGTV videos on a variety of subjects from anti-aging to, oh my God, I've got cancer, now what? Um, and I know you're really into integrative oncology and other things. Right. And, you know, um, you can go see him if you want as well. Um, I know that you like to see people, of course, as an MD first, and you can work mm -hmm. with them remote afterwards, but they need to at least come into your office at this point. Right. Um, versus a pure telemedicine type of situation. So thank you so much for sort of, t you know, giving us an overview on this topic. And right. um, I was surprised myself by so many of our conversations, and I know it's going to help a lot of people. I hope so. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you so much. All right. Well, now you can see why I love Dr. Forsman. And also, if you haven't read The Paleothyroid Solution, um, his his participation is incredible. And I mean, the success of the book would, would not be so without him. And there's really an incredible Q&A in the back of the book with him that should not be missed. And uh, so you can find that there. And thank you so much, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Gary. Thank you and goodbye. Hey, Primal Blueprint listeners, no dairy in your life? No problem. Primal Kitchen has you covered because our no dairy vodka sauce is made with avocado oil and organic cashew butter so you can ditch the dairy and keep the decadent taste you love. Made without gluten, soy, canola oil, or artificial ingredients, this vegan plant-based sauce is paleo certified. Visit us at primalkitchen.com for more real food options from dairy-free Alfredo sauce to tomato basil marinara and a whole host of other delicious products the entire family will love.